to Hillcrest Church Audio. We hope today's message will help you grow. Good morning. My name is Mary Margaret Brotherton, and I work here on staff. I oversee the online streaming, so hello, online streaming people. And I also help foster the arts here at Hillcrest, and I am delighted for this um, opportunity to share with you today about my time on the Sea of Galilee and my personal experience there, about the Sea of Galilee and my personal experience there. My father was a pastor, and he led several trips to Israel over the years. I grew up surrounded by many Israeli souvenirs, um, coffee table books about all things Israel, and there are many photos of the Holy Land displayed in my parents' house. Uh, They had and still have so much enthusiasm for Israel, and they wanted everyone to go and see and experience it. And there was a lot of talk and references to Israel growing up. But as the years went by, I was never able to join my dad's trips uh, due to being in school, lack of funds or time, or I would see the news and be like, that doesn't look like a really safe place to go. Um, But I married soon after college, and I learned that my husband and my in-laws had spent time there. And then on one of my parents' last trips there, my only sibling, my younger brother, and all my aunts and uncles, except for one, got to join them on their trip. So I was feeling a little left out. Um, So since that time, um, my desire to travel there became very strong. I wanted to piece together the souvenir clues uh, with the biblical scenes of the Bible that I had read about my whole life. I wanted to experience this place, the fifth gospel, as it's been called, or as I like to joke, the Disneyland of Christianity. And it, the analogy doesn't break down too far. Um, but finally, that opportunity presented itself. Um, my family and I were new to Hillcrest, and I didn't know too many people here yet. But with my husband's good cheer and blessing, I joined the group tour on my own and had the privilege of traveling to Israel um, with Hillcrest back in the summer of 2019. And so we just see a picture of the crew there. There we are. And we had a fantastic time. That was, we had so many laughs. Um, so as excited as I was to go and finally see this place, I didn't know what to expect spiritually. I was wrestling with some pretty big questions in, in my life at that time. I was coming out of a season where my life was solely focused on motherhood. And now that all three of our kids were in school... I was really wondering what was next for me personally. I was asking God, what's next? And also with that, I had really lost sight of myself, and I was asking, who am I? Um, I was struggling with purpose. I was heavy with doubt, and I was experiencing panic attacks that I never had before. Um, I was feeling really lost and confused. Um, It was hard to hear God It was hard to wait on him to believe that he would act. Um, Fear had set in that I had missed hearing him, and then I had anxiety that I would miss him. I was just knotted up in this tumultuous inner storm um, that that I had never experienced before. Um, And if I had known that I was a child of God, that had been forgotten intellectually because uh, the enemy's voice of accusation over my identity was relentless for months. I was just a hot mess. So, when have you experienced feeling lost, low on faith, doubting God will show up? Is there a storm you are currently facing? Or maybe you find yourself after a storm of great hurt and you're asking God for healing? 
Maybe you're seeking answers to questions of identity and purpose like I was. Or maybe it is not an internal storm, but external circumstances where you don't know what to do. You find yourself surrounded with uncertainty and confusion and fear. So the really big question I'm asking is, how does Jesus meet you in that storm? So whether you know Jesus or not, I want to look at how Jesus shows up in a storm. And may I also say, for those of you who are on the margin of faith, you know, just hanging on by a thread, um, or maybe you're in a storm right now, that Jesus does desire to meet you in that place. So let's turn in our Bibles to Mark 4, 35 through 41. This is in the New Testament toward the back of the Bible. So that day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if you drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. So in the gospel books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there are many stories of Jesus doing much of his ministry in this Galilee region, this area surrounding the body of water called the Sea of Galilee. He called most of his 12 disciples on the shore. He healed and fed thousands of people. Um, crowds followed him everywhere because of this. Uh, they're seeing these miracles of healing and casting out of demons and signs he performed in this area. So a great thing about the Sea of Galilee is that it is very much the same topography and landscape as in Jesus' time. So, and it's beautiful, too. Um, this makes it easier for us to imagine what the gospel stories look like and felt like. And it was hot. It was, we were there in July. It was hot. Um, <laughs> how hot was it? It was hot. Um, so how big is the Sea of Galilee? Um, it's 13 miles long and 8 miles wide. It's a freshwater lake. Um, about 160 feet deep in some places, and at it, it's at its highest point that it has been in some time now due to snow and rain. Um, in comparison to Bellingham Bay, just to give some context, um, Bellingham Bay is somewhat smaller, but not too much. It's about 12 miles long and 4 miles wide, and ranges from 30 to 60 feet deep, depending on the tide. So yeah, that just kind of puts a context of the kind of space we're talking about here. So, a fun discovery. I was surprised to find teeny tiny shells all along the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee. I grew up by the ocean, and I've been in freshwater lakes, and I'd never seen shells. But there are shells in the Sea of Galilee. Um, also, there are still fish. There are still fish in the Sea of Galilee today, too. I would go out early in the morning and sit in the water, and the fish would come and nibble on me. And I was like, literally tickled still to this day that fish were so friendly. Um, and so this is, <laughs> and they're still there. So this is um, looking east in the morning, calm waters in the Sea of Galilee. So back to the text. Verses 35 and 36 says that it was in the evening, and Jesus said, let us go over to the other side of the lake. And so he and his disciples um, got into a boat, or maybe they hadn't let, left the boat all day while Jesus preached from it, because he would talk to the crowds on the shore from the boat. Um, so they leave the crowd behind, making their way to the other side um, from Capernaum, which is in the north part of the lake. And so here's a view of Capernaum looking south. And my slideshow, you know, like a good slideshow, has every angle um, of 
of this area, so because we want to see every single picture there could be. Um, <laughs> so it also says some other boats are with him. So you have Jesus and his 12 disciples in this fishing boat and at least two other boats following along. Um, here's an image of a first century fishing boat. So maybe it wasn't that small, but it wasn't big. I don't think it was too big. So this was likely a cozy situation, up to 13 adults in a small fishing boat. And verse 37 says, and now there is a furious squall. So the Sea of Galilee is situated below sea level, and the surrounding hills can act as a conduit for storms that can happen really quickly. And waves can get to be 10 feet high in a really bad storm. So in verse 38, notice who is now asleep on a cushion in the back of the boat in the middle of this furious squall. It is Jesus. Um, Have you ever been so tired you could sleep through anything? This had been a long day of preaching ministry for Jesus, and he was exhausted. So we're asking, how does Jesus meet you in your storms? So we'll look at verses 35 and 38, and we'll see that Jesus is with you in the storm, even if you don't feel like he is. Jesus is with you in the storm, even if you don't feel like he is. So the first way he does this is by the surety of his presence. Jesus is with his disciples in the boat. He is present. In verse 35, notice whose idea it was to go to the other side of the lake in a boat at night. It was Jesus' idea. And though, and we'll look at verse 38. Even though several of the disciples are fishermen by trade, this may not have been a typical storm they had experienced, or maybe they have heard of one where um, boats were destroyed and lives were lost in the past. Um, at any rate, this was a threatening and anxious situation they are in, a situation they have little control over except to ask Jesus to wake up and help disswamp the boat. And their leader is conked out, fast asleep in the storm. And they ask, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Okay, so what tone of voice do you imagine <laughs> the disciples ask that question? I mean, yeah. Hey, hey there, Jesus, I know you're tired. Um, could you wake up and help us, you know, scoop the water out of the boat? Um, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Okay. Um, <laughs> imagine what you may sound like when you're facing a life-threatening emergency. Are you whispering and being polite to people around you who aren't helping out? Okay, so let's put on our imagination cap. That's what mine looks like. I want to see all the imagination caps going right on, okay? Oh, good, good. Um, <laughs> so let's set the scene. Imagine you're a disciple in the boat. Okay, so you're in this boat, this tiny boat. The wind is howling. The waves are coming. You're bobbing up and down, and maybe you have a clay pot. Um, But you have hands, so you're, like, scooping out the water. Your feet are wet. You're probably drenched, okay? And and then you see Jesus. Oh, my gosh, why is this guy still asleep? How is he asleep? Hey, hey, wake up. Help. Come on, help pick the water out of the boat. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Don't you care? don't think they understood who Jesus was when they asked that question. (laughs) But Jesus is with them in the boat during the storm, totally calm. (laughs) It was his idea to travel this way in a boat at night. He is not surprised the storm suddenly came upon them. It may feel like he is not present in our storms, but hold on, because we'll see in verses 38 and 39 that Jesus' character is revealed during storms when we call out to him. 
Jesus' character is revealed during storms when we call out to him. Jesus is not afraid during a storm. Was Jesus freaking out in the boat? He isn't anxious, worried, or perplexed. Why? Who is this guy? <laughs> so up until, the, up until this point in the book of Mark, the disciples have seen Jesus do many amazing and wonderful things. There's a lot of magnetism to Jesus because of this. Crowds have come from all over to be near him. It seems like Jesus is going to save Israel from Roman oppression. He teaches scripture with authority, and people are amazed, most of them. <laughs> and he's demonstrating powers of healing and casting out of demons. Um, that makes them think this is the guy to align with, to learn from. They call him teacher or rabbi. But also, by now, the, teacher, the disciples have spent a chunk of time with Jesus. They've, they've walked with him, seen him tired and asleep. Maybe they know he snores. Um, they've seen him eating and displaying motions. They are really familiar with Jesus' humanity. But even witnessing the many healings, exorcisms, the popularity of Jesus, they don't understand his divinity. In this stormy situation, they just want his help bailing out the water from the boat so that they don't drown. They want Jesus to act in the way they want, like they're acting. Act like us, Jesus. What happens next? Verse 39, Jesus got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. So Jesus helps his disciples, but it is not in the way they expected him to. (laughs) Jesus just demonstrates before their eyes, with them in the storm, that he has power over creation. He reveals his divinity. So who else do the the disciples, all Jewish young men, know of that can control the weather with a word? God. Maybe this psalm came to mind as they tried to sort out how this could have happened. Psalm 107, 23, 31 speaks of that, but verse 29 says, He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. Only God, the creator, can do these things. So Jesus' divinity is shown during the storm. He's showing the disciples that he is not just a man, but God. It's a big reveal. (laughs) So here's another image of the Sea of Galilee from Capernaum, looking south. (laughs) So we're asking, how does Jesus meet you in storms? Think about the storms you have experienced, past or presently. The death of a loved one, postpartum depression, caring for a colicky baby, an undiagnosed mystery illness, financial straits, a conflict at work, any combination of those and more. We've looked at two things so far. One, Jesus is with you in the storm, even if you don't feel like he is. And two, when you cry out to Jesus, he will show you his character. And in this instance, he shows that he is not only a man, but God. I mean, that's the biggest thing about him right then. And now we'll see that in verses 40 and 41. Jesus uses storms to teach us about himself and to deepen our faith in him. Jesus uses storms to teach us about himself and to deepen our faith in him. Now that the storm is gone, he then says to his disciples in verse 40, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Why does Jesus ask them these questions? And also, I kind of wonder at this point, you know, he's still tired. Did he go lay back down and go back to sleep? He doesn't say, but I I wonder, you know, he's still a man. (laughs) 
Um, okay, so put those imagination caps back on. I want to see them go on. Little pointy hats. Okay. Uh, so imagine being one of the disciples in the boat, hearing that question in suddenly still, glassy water, no wind. Why was I so afraid? Where is my faith? What are you ultimately afraid of in a storm? Jesus draws the disciples' attention to this deeper question. What does it mean in your life to not be afraid? And what does that look like as Jesus' followers? What does God's word say about fear? It says a whole lot. But he also says, be still and know that I am God, Psalm 46.10. Do we ever doubt God is with us? What might it look like to encounter Jesus in the middle of our storms, in the middle of our scooping? Did the disciples, all Jewish young men, even believe God? Even if they didn't realize Jesus was God in the boat, why didn't they call out to God? Where is their faith in God? The disciples' response in verse 41, they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. Did they hear his question? (laughs) They were terrified in awe to witness this instant calm and that Jesus commanded it. Jesus points out their fear and their seeming lack of faith altogether because of what they feared in that storm. When I was reviewing my sermon with Tim Nip, uh, he pointed out the Greek word magale, that is used to describe the storm or the wind that comes up suddenly. The storm was violent, a magale storm. It is the same word that is used to describe the immediate calm. It just is described as a magale calm, a great calm. And megan, a very similar word, is used to describe the disciples' level of fear. And they feared with fear great. It seems as though this might be a play on words by Mark as he writes about this event. And I think it illustrates that the disciples become more afraid of Jesus at the end of these verses than they were of the violent storm to begin with. (laughs) Who is this? (laughs) I think when we dig into that question of who Jesus is, that answer changes what we're afraid of. It changes how we experience fear during a storm. We have someone to call out to during a storm. Do we fear the storm or do we fear God? Do you fear the storm more than God? When have you encountered the triune God in your life that shatters what you thought you knew about him? When, you, when, when have you witnessed God's character in a new way, a way you weren't aware of? Well, let me tell you what happened to me on the Sea of Galilee. So we're about three-quarters into the tour, and we get to ride on a boat across the Sea of Galilee to our hotel in Engev. See, Israel has rides like Disneyland. It's not too different. <laughs> so the Yagal Alon Museum in Kibbutz Genazar is in the northwest Galilee region, um, where our first-century fishing boat is on display. Um, this boat was discovered in the 1980s in the Sea of Galilee, buried in the mud. It gives us a good idea of the size of a typical fishing boat. Um, here's another angle, because you yeah, have to have every angle in a, in a slideshow. Um, <laughs> uh, so on our bus ride, another ride <laughs> to the museum, 
I've shared with Nina Mullet, who was on the trip, uh, about my questions and my struggle to hear God in this internal storm I was so weary of. And she blessed me with some spiritual direction on the back of that bus. And I was able to hear God speak clearly into my fears and doubts for the first time in a long time. There was a modicum of peace that came from that conversation. Hope was dawning in my soul. I, I could go forward with hope. So we arrived at the boat museum, and it was getting close to the time to get aboard our boat. So here we are getting aboard our boat. And then there's another picture of, that's not us, but that's what the boat looks like. So now you know what the boat looks like. <laughs> our boat left the dock and set out across to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. So here we go, chugging along. And that's also not us. That's, that's yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I got out of the boat, took the picture, swam back. <laughs> so as we headed out onto the sea, I began to experience a visceral sensation of anxiety and fear leaving my body. Like a tightly coiled rope on a boat, what I felt inside me was like a very long, very heavy rope of anxiety and coiling from my body and slipping off into the bottom of the sea. I had never felt anything like this, and I did not know what to think. So I went over to Nina Mullet <laughs> and told her what was happening. Yeah. Here's a picture of Nina and I. I'm not going to cry. <laughs> she said, this is your new beginning. This is peace, you know, capital P. She took this photo of me. During the whole boat ride, that rope uncoiled from my body. Jesus calmed the storm inside me. When we reached Engev, I got off that boat feeling a thousand times lighter. The turmoil within was gone. Complete peace enveloped my entire being. I was subdued. Calmed by the peace that subdues. I walked away from that boat ride, stunned, amazed at what I had just experienced. So here's the end of the day on the Sea of Galilee, looking west. I had to ask, who is this? I came home from Israel and entered a season of rest, intentionally asking that question, who is this? While my kids were in school during the day, I would literally go walking with him to understand how to be with him in a way I hadn't experienced before in the nearly 40 years I'd been a Christian. It was a season of learning to just be with him, while he continued to deepen my faith in him, of a newfound intimacy as he strengthened my identity as one of his beloved daughters. I experienced his tender love for me in a new way as I walked with him. He had removed the wound-up barriers inside me and restored my spirit. I had a renewed trust, a renewed trust that he does care and that he is with me, and that is now anchored in bedrock. Others noticed there was a greater peace, a change in my being after that boat ride my roommate in Israel, and a few others on the tour. And even when I came home, I was walking down the street to see my counselor, and she was coming up, and she saw me, and she said, you're different. <laughs> I don't know how to explain, how else to explain, <laughs> what happened to me on that boat on the Sea of Galilee. I think maybe he calmed that storm in, in me because of his kindness and mercy, and because others were praying when I didn't know what to pray. He blessed me in an unexpected way that afternoon. Jesus became more real and far greater than I had ever known. 
Not all my questions were answered, that experience, not at all. But what I want you to hear today is that he gave me his peace in the middle of my storm. This is a quote from the Matthew Henry Commentary. God doesn't promise to calm the many storms we will encounter over the course of our lives, but sometimes the storms in our lives stop suddenly in complete calm and peace because of his power. It is overwhelmingly awesome when he intervenes that way. (laughs) But when there are long, stormy seasons and you are feeling afraid and worn out and confused, my heart for you is that you would turn to him in your storm. And I know it may feel really dark and endless right now. Call out to him and he will reveal himself to you because he does care and he is reliable like no other. He's in the boat with you, totally unafraid, inviting you into a deeper faith with him. He is in our storms today, like he was with his disciples. Jesus is the same God who calmed that storm on the Sea of Galilee back then as he can on Bellingham Bay today. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the storm-calming God, awesome and matchless to any other Your power is the same today as it was with your disciples, and we praise you for it. Lord Jesus, please reveal your presence to anyone who is in a storm right now. Cause each person to call out to you in whatever kind of storm they are in, to choose to entrust themselves to you, your awesome character, your divinity. Subdue their anxiety with your peaceful presence. And in your kindness and mercy, please give your grace in their waiting and comfort and their pain. Surround those who are in storms with a community of Jesus followers who will tend to the weariness and fear they are experiencing. Thank you for your compassion that you do care and you understand what it is to be human. Jesus, we want to know you during all the storms we will face. May we always pursue knowing you by asking, who is this? Enable each person to have a greater understanding of who you are. May the storms of our lives cause us to give you greater worship and greater trust and have greater faith in you and greater fear of you. Amen. Thanks for connecting with Hillcrest Church. For more info on this and other sermons, visit us online at hcbellingham.com or join us at 9 or 11 a.m. any Sunday morning, 1400 Larrabee Ave, Bellingham, Washington.